centuries, humankind has recorded their time on Earth both in the oral and written traditions. However, humans are flawed, and by extension, so are our historical records. We create our own narrative. Just like our ancestors have for all time, we actively decide what is canon and what is falsehood. Our whole lives, we've been committed to exploring the depths of history for the unbridled truth. After receiving degrees from Yale, we have set our sights on the unseeable, the mysterious, and the unknown. We are the Mysteries of History Podcast. This is the second half of our conversation with historian and author James McQuiston. If you didn't hear the first half, please make sure you go back to our podcast and, and listen to the first half before listening to this. It's a riveting discussion and you don't want to miss out on last week's episode. Enjoy. When I was uh, exploring my second book, and I was actually on the trail of connections to Templars, that's when I found out that William Alexander Jr., who was the son of the man who was given Nova Scotia, he's the man who led the Scots in Nova Scotia from 29 through 32. And there isn't any doubt about that. That's all recorded in the Privy Council meetings and in the, all the documents on the, on the uh, baronets of Nova Scotia. But what I found was he's also the very first non-operative Freemason ever recorded in history. And I, at first, had read uh, in two or three places that the records were still with the Edinburgh Lodge, number one, in Scotland, which is the first. Uh, they, they actually have a lodge they think was earlier, so they named it Zero, Lodge Zero. <laughs> but uh, the first one to actually have uh, records is Lodge uh, one in Edinburgh. And so then uh, Doug Kroll um, sent me uh, an email one day saying I should look up a couple of, well, no, actually it wasn't Doug. It was Kelly Hancock. He's the uh, grand historian of the Grand Lodges of Nova Scotia. There's 88 lodges to my knowledge. And he said, uh, maybe you could find something in these books. Well, I was on the search for those books when I found a book from Cornell University scanned into their library mm. that um, actually had facsimiles of the uh, handwritten notation of when these three first Freemasons were initiated. And it also had their, all of their signatures. So now I had an actual copy of what I had been reading about. And this other treasure that I had mentioned I didn't know anything about that, and there's very little about it online, but in the little biographies in this book about these three men, uh, when they talked about the third guy, they talked about how he was accused of stealing the wife and the treasure of the, basically the marshal of Scotland. He wasn't a marshal like Marshal Dillon. He was uh, like a secret more or less like the head of the Secret Service. He protected the crown jewels and he protected the king when he went to parliament and all that. Mm. And um, so this uh, third Freemason, he wasn't a Freemason yet when he did it. And he was tried by the Privy Council. And of course, uh, Alexander was on Which, the Privy Council. 
bringing us full full circle back to our original story about Alexander and and mm-hmm. and Nova Scotia. You had a question. Yeah, I have a question. I mean, kind of along the one of the things I love about your research Jim, is that it almost takes the like the conspiracy theoriness out of the whole Oak Island thing. You know, like when we're explaining to people what our podcast is about, they often say like, "Wait, it's about what? There's like an island with a hole." That somebody dug and there's treasure in it. It sounds yeah. kind of crazy, but when you put it into this like greater context of history, it makes it seem that much more, just so much more feasible. It reads it reads both as like a as a like a true history of of the world, but also, you know, it's it proves to me how rich the Nova Scotia history is. I mean, just with all those settlers and all all of this back and forth it's it's really uh man there's just so much uh happening in Nova Scotia and you know some people credit Nova Scotia with being the gateway to the American colonies it was originally considered one of them until the revolution and then it got divvied up with Canada but um yeah i kind of pride myself uh, in sticking to the pragmatic, but it's also just because that's who I am. And, you know, there's a lot of authors out there, and I correspond with a lot of them already right now, but uh, that they they hit on the pragmatic history like I do, but then they also throw in, well, there's you can draw a direct line from Roslyn Castle to the Money Pit. Well, you can draw a direct line from any point on Earth, <laughs> Earth, and and or, or the Pole Star, you know, of such and such, um, you know, the Orion Belt or something. You know, well, those things move all the time too. And so, I'm not saying that they didn't use the stars to guide them. Uh, we know that they did, but. I'm more down to earth, you know, uh, who are the people that we know were there? What does the scientific evidence show of the time period? And then that is essentially it's from the, uh, let's say 1620 to 1720 is basically where all that early, all the coins, the, the bones they found that they had carbon dated, uh, the, all the finished lumber. Now, one thing about that finished lumber is in the past, they always gave it that 70 to 80 years. And the reason why was because they didn't know when the tree was felled, whether it fell naturally or was cut down and, and then when it was actually used. So mm-hmm. because carbon is obviously the, the uh, benchmark for carbon dating and carbon comes from wood. Mm-hmm. So you'd think, well, you wouldn't give carbon any, any leeway, whereas you might a bone or something else. But the only reason they do is because they don't know when the tree fell. And for some reason, in, in more recent years, they've cut that window down to like 25 to 35 years. And I'm not sure if that's based on science or or just somebody decided to do that. But uh, so I looked at all the pr- pragmatic uh, evidence. Uh, when, when these carbon dating pieces of finished lumber were dated, when the coins were dated, who was there? What what the history of it? And one of the really interesting things about it that that I think is that the the original settlement was on at Port Royal, which is across uh, Nova Scotia to the west. Mm-hmm. But when the new governor came, after uh, 
after the old French governor had allied himself with Alexander and mm -hmm. after the Scots had to leave, when the new French governor came, he did not go to Port Royal, which was already settled and had a fort and everything there. He settled at La Have, which is just uh, 30, 30 or 40 miles away from Oak Island and maybe 40 miles up to New Ross. He, he positioned himself in the area that we're talking about, not where you would, everybody else was fighting over Port Royal. It is the, they say it's the most fought over piece of land in North America. There are so many battles mm. recorded about North, uh, Port Royal. Well, instead of him settling there, which would have seemed the logical thing, it was safer. It was on the leeward side of Nova Scotia. So the waters were safer. It had a settlement. It already had a fort and all that. He chose to settle on the rougher side, on the windward side very close within a hour sail from Oak Island and, and New Ross. So hey, that sounds he like a smart decision for that. <laughs> that. That sounds like a smart decision to me. If you're talking about, you know, Port Royal is the most fought over land. What, why would you want to settle in Port Royal? Well, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. But, uh, so, uh, and, and at that point, uh, the old French governor had actually, uh, signed a charter with, or was given a charter from William Alexander for the land up to Lunenburg. And it may or may not have included Mahone Bay. There's there's a, a number of us talking about that now and looking at old records. Some records say that it was called Merligash. And the old Mi'kmaq legend was that it was attributed to the Mi'kmaq uh, First Nations. And, and there's like six different definitions of it. And most of them don't have anything to do with each other. But... Somebody had pointed out to me, had asked me, uh, it was a friend of Doug Carroll's, had asked me, do you think that could be Gaelic? So I started looking into Gaelic, and I actually found Mur Lagash, which means part of the alliance, being used as far back as 900 AD. So it was absolutely Gaelic. It meant part of the alliance. And what was the alliance? Sir William Alexander formed an alliance with the old French governor and gave him that land grant right there. So... Now you have the land at least up to Lunenburg owned by the old French governor. You have the re remnants of the new Scots governor, the Alexander family, living right up at New Ross. And now the new French governor comes there too. So you've got all the concentration of power within probably a 50-mile circle, it, which includes both New Ross and, mm -hmm. and Oak Island. So, again... Uh, I don't know. I, I have to ask myself, why is why was everybody concentrated there mm. as opposed to anywhere else in Nova Scotia it could yeah. have been? Why were they concentrated there? Something was drawing everybody to that area. And uh, so uh, it, it could be that um, they built the money pit and buried items that they did not want to take back, like the uh, treasure that we're currently working on or the uh Chronicon or the Andor, the uh, Stone of Destiny. Um, but they knew they had to protect it, and that could have been the purpose of their mm -hmm. of them having this secret of state Which, just 20 yeah. miles up the river. Mm -hmm. uh, you wouldn't want to probably build it right where you buried everything, because then if you got attacked, you know, the odds yeah. of them finding it are a lot easier. But, so, uh, But there isn't any doubt there was an Alexander presence from... As far as the Alexander family is concerned, and 
various other records, there was a presence from 1623 to 1656 at New Ross, which is only somewhere around 15 to 20 miles away, depending on how you go, I guess. And if they're there until 15 or 1656, it's very plausible that even with later carbon dated, carbon dated, uh, finished wood, uh, it's still very, very plausible that the Alexanders did have something to do with, uh, the, the digging of the pit the original depositors of, of Oak Island. Yes. Um, and, and a lot of people could have been, you know, the, their, their whereabouts would have been known and the, some of there probably were guesses of what they took with them or whatever. So it's not, uh, unlikely that people began looking for whatever was taken there as soon as they could, you know, the French dominated the area for a while, but, um, and I don't know if the French had, and there's no indication so far anyway, that there was any French involvement on Oak Island. There's never been French coins found or, mm-hmm. you know, it's always been British or Scottish, uh, and a few Spanish, two or three Spanish coins. Um, but, uh, even that English encampment they found there, I think it was from the 17, 17- 30s, where uh, Gary Drayton had found all those British coins and the, I think the uh, a belt buckle, a few things like that. They could have, for all we know, they could have been there looking for it. And I did find once, and, and for the life of me, I can't find it again. It makes me mad, but I found a newspaper article where they said the search on Oak Island for treasure had gone on a hundred years before the money pit was discovered. Hmm. Uh, I did find another one that I had read that said that treasure hunting for treasure on those islands had been taking place for 25 years before the money pit was discovered. And that one I was able to find again. Uh, what I, I used to subscribe to a thing called newspaper archives. They have billions of PDFs of articles. So I just searched Oak Island, Nova Scotia, and I sent off 39 newspaper or magazine articles to the folks up there, uh, with whatever hits. And I thought it was in those and I went through all 39 of them reading them again. I cannot that find that reference to hundred, but they absolutely were looking for treasure. And, you know, a lot of people thought it was captain kid, which I'm not saying it wasn't, but, um, the pirates that were the privateers and pirates that were, uh, raising havoc along the, uh, uh, North Atlantic coast, all the way down to the Caribbean, Nova Scotia was one of the best places they could go because there's so many islands and places to hide out up there. And it there it's known that they were. So there was a lot of boat traffic up in that area. And a lot of people, that Captain Anderson, he could have been there looking for that, sure. you know, that treasure. He was Scottish. And um, so I think that it was generally uh, well-known but they didn't know the specifics. And a lot of people were working on this general knowledge, but trying to locate specifically what happened. And another real point of interest is that two of the men or boys, they were young men who found the money pit. One of them was Daniel McGinnis. Well, uh, the McGinnis clan itself was very close to my McDonald clan and the Innes family, uh, was one of the first baronets to sign up. So whether his name actually came, because a lot of times it's spelt 
Mick and then Ennis, mm -hmm. I-N-N-E-S, mm -hmm. which would uh, sh uh, point to him being part of the Ennis clan, where if it's spelled M-G-I-N-N-E-S, which it often is too, which point to be part of the McGinnis clan. Mm -hmm. But either one of them had an association with the Baronets of Nova Scotia, and he was one of the people that found the pit. In fact, he was the first one that found the pit, as far as everybody knows. One of his cohorts was uh, John Smith, and it almost sounds like a phony name, yeah. but uh, <laughs> know his genealogy, and they know when he, he was there about eight years before the money pit was found. He was living on Oak Island with his stepfather and his mother. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, his mother was a McLean, and the McLean name is one of the best names I have to connect the Knights Templar to the Baronets of Nova Scotia, to the Freemasons, and to the discovery on Oak Island. Wow. And it's in my book, but I mean, it's just yeah. amazing. And we, uh, the record of them. We just want to encourage our readers right now to go and where, where can they find your book? Well, principally, I, I usually send people to Amazon just because that's where a okay. lot of people like to go. It's it's on other uh, bookstore, online bookstores. Uh, it's in a few uh, brick and mortars, but it's mostly online. So, but, so your books are uh, Oak Island, Missing Links, and Oak Island, sixteen thirty-two. Uh, I have just a couple more questions. We're we're actually running out of time, mm -hmm. and we just want to wrap it up here. Um, okay. Just just uh, what what do you want your readers to take away from your two books? Um, what you know what what's the action message? What and just to follow up to that. Uh, what research, further research, um, both, you know, in in libraries and literally with the boots on the ground, what research do you think is necessary to follow up on um, the information you've laid out here in both of your books? Well, uh, the first question, uh, my answer would be that uh, there's a very rich history, as you alluded to earlier, and it's a very exciting history. It's a history that you could make movies out of easily. And uh, a lot of that was lost. It, it wasn't totally lost, but it was uh, pieces were in different places. And it took a lot. I mean, I've been at it for 18 months, but it took a long time to find these pieces and say, oh, wow, this has to, has to do with this. And so, you know, this must be the story. And what I found interesting was uh, I now have four other historians, book writers, who have chewed around the edges of the Alexanders being responsible. They didn't go into it as deep as I have, but they, and I'm in correspondence with them all, and we're now sharing our information, and that's going to be one way where more is discovered. Uh, I'm in uh, almost daily contact with the folks at Oak Island, and we've been talking about, uh, and it was just this real sketchy at the moment, but we've been talking about uh, a research trip to Scotland and also uh, doing some away from the cameras and the tourists up at Oak Island, just doing some raw analysis of data that, uh, that Dan Blankenship has stored away in his basement, mm. uh, that uh, the things that different authors have discovered, and just like a brainstorming uh, about it and say, well, what you know, let's separate the wheat from the shaft here. You know, what what really can stand strong as a theory or a fact and what is just, you know. 
and kind of take a, a little bit of a stand back. And so I, I'm hoping that that happens through this year. Mm-hmm. I have some indication that it will, but I don't, you know, have any airplane tickets. <laughs> <laughs> well, you hey, know, we, so, we hope you can get that on camera. <laughs> <laughs> We'd but love I to see that. that. I still always go back to the prag, the pragmatic. I hate to beat that point to death, but sure. uh, I think a lot of this was driven by uh, – survival uh, get away from the plagues get away from religious wars get away from the changing royal family and uh uh the expanding uh population um and you know it was it was putting the squeeze on these clan chieftains who had it really good for a while and when you're offered all that land again and uh uh being above the law uh, you know, it's pretty enticing for these people to do this, and it's known that they attempted. To, this was an attempt to make a utopia in Nova Scotia. So, it's a very rich history, but it's based on something very simple. Uh, number one, survival. Maybe number two was greed. You know, I think religious zeal often is just an excuse mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> to support the first two. You know, so. Um, but. Um, I think that we need to continue down the road of looking at the actual uh, evidence of who would have been there and what these carbon dating uh, and coin dates mean. I mean, it seems like he could zero this down. And I've, I've said to them right in the beginning, almost 18 months ago, that it's too bad that there can't be some like big storyboard of every single, or even a database, of every single item ever found, dated, the uh, give it a rating of whether it was a plant or not, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's, or a mistaken identity, mm-hmm. whatever, and then and then just keep trying to pinpoint it down, just like the detectives do uh, in the murder mysteries, you know, down to what, you know, what the, what does the best evidence show? And I think they want to do that, I think, and I think they have been doing it uh, a lot, but uh, they've also been probably under a fair amount of pressure for their investors and the History Channel to be digging in the ground. And digging in the ground ultimately is going to be uh, how the mystery is proven. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But, um, but knowing who could have done it, when they could have done it, you know, why they would have done it, that's all part of the story. I mean, if you were trying to solve a murder mystery, those are the things you'd be looking at. So we're trying to solve a treasure mystery but it's the same well james thank you so much for being on the show um please let us know you know when you can uh anything else you've discovered we're we love this history Mm -hmm. we're we're having so much fun following all uh all of the researchers mm-hmm. like really doing all the work right now. So yeah, I would love to talk more about this in the future. If you're open to it, this has been really exciting. Well, and I'll tell you one, one more thing on my website is called Oak Island gold.com. And you folks have inspired me, uh, to these folks that I'm, uh, corresponding with, uh, I've I've approached a couple of them if they would just do like a quick interview of say nine questions and I would control by my questions I would control it so we didn't get off on uh ley lines and and stars in the sky or whatever but mm-hmm. uh we would keep it down to the boots on the ground type thing 
and just say, what do you think about this? Or what's your top three choices of who would have built the money pit or whatever? With, with the idea of this is to see how many people would uh, point to the same uh, to the same theory, you know, would, uh, is there going to be, if I interview 10 people, are 10 people going to have 10 different theories or mm. are three or four of them going to have the same theory? And then, then we go with that theory and we start, you know, uh, kind of to help me out uh, and also to give them a little bit of voice because believe me, I get so many uh, theories sent my way. And in fact, the folks at Oak, Oak Island have sent a couple people my way to try to decipher what it is they're saying. And most people aren't writers. Most people aren't researchers. They just have uh, something in their family, a story from their family or whatever. And those things are um, floating around out there, but really there's nobody collecting them all. And I'm glad that you folks are doing what you're doing because, uh, you know, everybody's got an opinion, but if enough opinions say the same thing, we can start narrowing this mystery down. That's the goal. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's that's one of the reasons why we're so fascinated. Like all of us are so fascinated with just history in general is it, it all comes back to our family connections. And and really family is like the, the truest form of history we have. Right. The, mm -hmm. the oral tradition is the oldest dissemination of history. And so uh, we are we that's that's I think why Luke and I are in this is because we we just want to know more about the context of our ancestors' lives and 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 well you know and things. along those lines some I believe it was the New York Times just recently had an article uh, somebody somebody was uh, contrasting genealogy with history uh, as if they were two different things and I wrote them I don't know if anybody bothered to read it but. I said they are the exact same thing. They aren't two different things. Mm -hmm. The uh, bits of history have been brought down through families. You know, I spoke recently to a Freemasons group, and just before I spoke, uh, this elderly gentleman came up and he said, I've never found a link between the Knights Templar and the Freemasons, and I've been looking for years. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I'm not here to say that, they're, that one developed from the other. All I'm going to tell you is that in between those two were these Scottish clans that became baronets of Nova Scotia. So after my talk, it was very well received and people were coming up buying my books and looking at the evidence I brought with me and all that. And he was waiting in the wings till everybody left. And he came up and he said, I think you found the missing link. He said, I've been looking for some type of organization between the two. And he said, what I'm, what I realized from your talk is it's the Scott, these Scottish families that connected it all. I said, yeah, it's absolutely. That's how I got started. My angle was Scottish clans. Other people's angle was archeology, span astronomy, whatever. Mine was always the history of the Scottish clans. So anyway, Jim, we could talk about this stuff all day, but yeah. <laughs> we got to cut it there. <laughs> okay. Thank you so right. much. Well, appreciate it. Yeah. So we're Good luck with your project. Thank you. Thank you for listening to part two of our interview with Oak Island historian and author James McQuiston. You can find his books on Amazon and check out his website at oakislandgold.com. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud or whatever platform you're hearing our podcast on. Thank you to James McQuiston for being on the show and thank you to Ben Sound for his music.
You can hear more of his work at bensound.com. This is Luke Stentz and Carl Gardner signing, signing off. off.